Well, let me explain for those of you who haven't been here maybe on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, or you haven't been here much, let me explain what we're, what we're doing right now. Uh, we're doing something a little different than we've done in the past. Maybe we're basically combining Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We're putting those two together. They're, they're connected, if you will, uh, for a little while now. And uh, What we're doing is on Wednesday nights, uh, we're, we're showing the Andy Stanley series, Ask It. And he's teaching on Wednesday nights. We're facilitating the discussions. And I'm grateful for Brad and Mike who have helped facilitate those in, the, in recent weeks. Uh, but, but he's asking a key question in this series. The question is, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And so he's dealing with that on Wednesday nights. And a lot of what he's dealing with comes from Proverbs. In connection to that, we're looking at the book of Proverbs on Sunday night. In fact, one of the references that, that he used this past Wednesday is, is a reference we're going to take and go deeper because he just mentioned it this past Wednesday, and we're going to take that same reference and go deeper into it uh, and study it actually tonight. So there's a connection between what we're trying to do. And, and again, it's connected in another way. Right now, if you're reading with us through the, our Bible reading plan, we're reading the books of wisdom, and we're just about, let's see, I think, is it tomorrow we, we go into the book of Isaiah? But, but we've been reading through the books of wisdom, wisdom and poetry. So it's connected in that way uh, as well. So we're, we're looking uh, tonight and for the next couple of weeks probably the, at the book of Proverbs. And this, the title of this series is Walking in Wisdom So You Can Avoid Regret. Walking in wisdom so you can avoid regret. Now, before we get into the text, I want to tell you a true story. I will not use the gentleman's name, but I will say, if details of this story sound a little bit familiar to you, I did reference him, uh, I don't remember when, but it was maybe a month or two ago, I did use him and some other men in an illustration, uh, but I wanted to come back to, to his story and give you kind of some more details. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize this man. I'm not trying to, uh, and one of the reasons for not using his name is because uh, this is a man that I have respected from afar. I don't know him. I've never met him. I've read some of what he's written, but I don't know him. Uh, but I just want to use his life as an illustration for all of us. Uh, the man that I want to tell you about is a very smart person. He, he's known. For his intelligence. He, he is just a very smart individual. He holds an undergraduate degree from Samford University in Alabama. He holds a Master's of Divinity degree from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he holds a PhD degree from that same seminary, Southwestern Seminary, my alma mater in Fort Worth, Texas. So, so he is a man who, who is very intelligent, a man who is well-trained, not just trained in, in secular things, if you will, but, but well-trained in the Bible, well-trained as a minister, uh, holding three earned degrees, one of those being a Ph.D. He is a man, as I said, that I've always respected, and not only me, but he has had a reputation in the Southern Baptist Convention, a very good reputation in the Southern Baptist Convention as a leader, as someone who really invests in the younger generation. He's been a mentor and a model, for, especially for those involved in student ministry. This, this is a very well-respected man. He is a prolific author. He has written more than 20 books. Uh, that blows my mind. How, how do you, I, I can't write one book. How do you write 20 books, more than 20 books, including one of his most recent books, which is Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. 
Good title. And from what I hear, it's a great book. I haven't read it yet, but I hear it is a really good book. Uh, this man that I want to introduce to you has taught at Houston Baptist University from 1992 to 95. So he's been a professor. Uh, he served also as director of evangelism and stewardship for the state convention uh, in Indiana. He is a sought-after speaker. He he has spoken at more than 2,000 churches and colleges and universities, conferences. 1995, he joined the faculty of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. At Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, he held the Bailey Chair Smith of Evangelism. And he was the senior professor of evangelism and student ministry. I mean, this is one of those guys who is so godly, who is so smart, who is, who is such a leader in our convention, he also has served as pastor. In fact, he, he, he has recently served as pastor of young professionals at Richland Community Church. And this man, by the way, is 59 years old. I'm 58. He's 59, so uh, my age. But now, listen to this. On May 21st of this year, he placed the following statement on his website. I quote, I have resigned from my teaching and public ministry to address personal and spiritual issues in my life. Please pray for me and for my family, for now and the foreseeable future. To respect my family, I do not intend to say anything else about, uh, publicly about this. Now, now hear this again. I have resigned from teaching and public ministry to address personal and spiritual issues in my life. And so far as I know, and I've been looking, so far as I know, Nobody has heard anything from him since, at least not publicly. I'm sure he's got family and some close friends around him, but, but beyond that, those small circles, nobody has heard from him since. Nobody saw it coming. Everybody was surprised. Nobody would imagine that it would happen to him. So my question that I have is a very simple question. How? How did a guy with such a prominent career, how did a guy with such outstanding education, how did a guy of such influence suddenly fall? And my guess is, again, I don't know him, I haven't talked to him. My guess is that it was not a sudden fall. Generally speaking, we begin to walk in a particular direction weeks, months, or even years before we arrive at the destination. Sometimes we're just oblivious to the obvious. We simply don't realize what we're doing. We, we're oblivious to the obvious. We simply don't realize where we're headed. We are oblivious to the obvious. We simply don't think about where this path is leading and what the consequences might be. I looked up the word oblivious, but I'd like to, and I'll give you the, the dictionary definition, but I'd like for you to give me a definition. What, what does the word oblivious mean? Yeah, completely unaware. That's very good. Without a clue. Is that what somebody else said? All right, so we had two at the same time. Without a clue. You're all right. The dictionary says, not aware of or not concerned about what's happening around you. 
For example, someone could be so absorbed in reading a book that they're oblivious that somebody else walked in the room. They don't have a clue. They're not aware of. They're They're so focused on something else, they don't notice what's going on around them. Now, listen to me, church. We all can be oblivious to the obvious. It breaks my heart when I see people who don't connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes they experience. They've come to believe that as long as their heart is in the right place, whatever that means, as long as their intentions are good, then eventually everything will work out okay. Then months or years later, they wake up and they wondered what happened. And then sometimes they'll play the God card. You know what the God card is? Why did God allow this to happen? How could God let this happen? Can, can I say this with a pastor's heart? I hope you'll take it the right way. Do not blame God for what you do. Don't blame God for what you've done. The way that you live, learn this. We've got to learn this. The way that you live your life shapes your life. The decisions you make every day are shaping your life. And if you're making bad decisions, don't be surprised that you end up with bad results. If you're making bad decisions, don't be surprised that one day there'll be a price to pay. Now, there's an amazing piece of literature tucked away in the book of Proverbs that illustrates the disconnect between the choices that we make and the outcomes we experience. I I brought my big Bible tonight. We're going to be here a while. I brought my big Bible tonight because I've marked up this chapter. It's not my preaching Bible. This is my study Bible. And I've marked up this chapter over the years. And, And so I just want to have it laid open in front of me. And we're going to walk through this chapter. Proverbs chapter 7 is where we're going to be focusing on tonight. I just want you to open the word with me and uh, let me give this little disclaimer. I recognize that with, with some children here tonight, and I'm glad that they're here, thankful that we have children here, but just understand that the content is, is a little beyond uh, maybe for kids. So, uh, Just be aware of that, and I'll try to be careful in in my words. But Proverbs chapter 7, the theme of Proverbs 7 is how to stay clean in a dirty world. How how do you stay clean in a dirty world? Proverbs chapter 7 is part of a three-chapter section that deals with particular kinds of sin. Again, with children, I'm trying to be mindful. of. But if you look in chapter 5, let's let's just look in chapter 5. You can see the heading in chapter 5 in your Bible. And it's telling us really that this particular type of sin eventually is disappointing. The experience might begin sweetly. It may be uh, uh, exciting, but it can quickly turn to bitterness and to bondage. And and then in chapter 6, flip over to chapter 6. Again, you can look at the heading. And this particular kind of sin he's talking about here can gradually be destructive. It can destroy you physically. It can destroy you morally. It can destroy you spiritually. It can destroy your life. It can destroy your family. So you need to be careful with this kind of sin. And then in chapter 7, 
again, just giving you the context. In chapter 7, you can see the heading, and this particular kind of sin can ultimately be deadly. It will cost you your reputation. It may cost you your future. It may cost you your career. And in some cases, it could cost you your life. But Proverbs chapter 7 is not limited just to that one particular kind of sin. It really is a story about the trap of sin. The story focuses on a young man who is naive and oblivious to the obvious. God shows us the steps to his destruction so that we can avoid the same mistakes. And he shows us how we can live differently if we choose to. How we can stay clean in a dirty world. It's, it's a very easy chapter to outline. If you're taking notes, I don't have any outlines for you, but if you're taking notes, it's a very easy chapter to outline. Verses 1 through 5 are basically advice on how to live a clean life. Here is a father giving advice to his son on how to stay clean in a dirty world. And, and so the, the advice is very easy to follow. We'll look at that in just a moment. So that's, again, just looking at a broad outline of the chapter. Verses 1 through 5 is advice on how to live a clean life. Verses 6 through 27 is a story of a young man who fell into the trap of sin. The one, it's an amazing story as far as literature goes. I mean, it's, it's an intriguing story of how a young man fell into the trap of sin. So let's look at the first lesson about walking in wisdom so that you can avoid regret. If you're taking notes, here's the first lesson based on the first five verses. And here, here's the lesson. Listen to it. If you treasure the Word of God, it will keep you in the will of God. Hear that again. If you treasure the Word of God, it will keep you in the will of God. Let, let's read our text, verses 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. You know what he's saying here? He's simply saying, here, here is Solomon giving advice to his son. Here is a father trying to instruct and, and give godly counsel to his son. And, and he's saying to his son, listen, if you will listen to what I say to you, and if you'll take what I say to you and apply it to your life, it will guard your life. Parents, haven't you given your kids advice, instruction? hoping they'd listen to what you said. Because you know, right? You know that you've got wisdom they don't have. You understand that you've got knowledge they don't have. You understand you, you've got experiences they've not yet had. And sometimes you give them the wisdom or the advice because you're trying to keep them from experiencing some of the things you experience. You're wanting them to learn from your mistakes. You're wanting them to maybe not repeat the way that you lived. And so here's what he says. He, he, he says, if you'll let God's word be a companion that goes with you, notice what, what will happen, verse 5. These things that I want to teach you, which ultimately are for us, the word of God, he says, they will, they will, what's the next two words? They will what? They will keep you. Notice that. Maybe underline that. They will keep you from the adulteress, with the wayward wife, with her seductive words. You see, sin is hard to resist. 
We need a reason to say no. We need the power to say no. We need the wisdom to say no. And you don't have that strength on your own. You don't have that power on your own. You don't have that wisdom on your own. But the power is found in living in God's Word. Somebody put it this way, a dusty Bible leads to a dirty life. You see, if you neglect the Word of God, you're going to step out of the will of God. Hello? Isn't that right? You neglect the Word of God. You will eventually step out of the will of God. And so he says, if you will follow these things, if you will do these things, if you will keep my commands, if you will guard them, if you will... If, and he's talking about focusing on the Word of God. He says, if you'll do this, these things, the Word of God will keep you from making some very bad choices. Now, the rest of Proverbs 7 is really a dramatic portrayal of how easily we can fall into the trap of sin. Even if you're a college professor and a seminary professor and you've written 20 books and you're a pastor and you've preached in over 2,000 different locations, anybody, anybody can be oblivious to the obvious, fall into sin. So he tells us, beginning in verse 6 and 7, he's just this dramatic story of how easily we can all fall into the trap of sin. Let's read verse 6 and 7. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Solomon talked about a group of people that he saw, and he called this group of people the simple. Now, that sounds derogatory to us in some ways, but it really is a key word in the book of Proverbs. In fact, it's used in the book of Proverbs at least 15 times. And it describes someone who is, the simple is someone who is easily persuaded. The simple is someone who lacks judgment, someone who is immature, someone who is naive. Andy Stanley, in this past Wednesday's study, talked about this in his video. He, he talked about the simple and and. Let's say it was the simple and the mocker, and who was the one in in the middle? The fool. The simple, the fool, and the mark and the mocker. So we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I just in case you were not here, I just want you to understand that word. The simple is is very important in the book of Proverbs. It's somebody who is easily persuaded, somebody who lacks judgment, someone who is naive. Now Solomon, as he's standing at his window looking at this group of people, he says he begins to focus on one young man in that group of simple. He noticed in this group of young men who were immature and experienced, he noticed one young man in particular. And in verse 7, how did he describe this young man? Yeah. He was a, a fool who lacked wisdom, a young man who, who, who lacked wisdom. Or as it says in the NIV, a youth who lacked judgment. There was something missing in him, and, and Solomon said the thing that was missing in this young man is that he, he lacked judgment. He didn't have wisdom. Now, could I ask you a question? Is bad judgment limited to those who are young? <laughs> Be nice if it was, wouldn't it? Be nice if you could, if you could hit a certain age and say, okay, I got that behind me. I, I'm smooth sailing now. Be nice if you could say, you know, by the time you're 58 or 59, you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. But that's not the case, and we all know that. 
But it is true, is it not? Especially if you've got teenagers or, or young people, isn't it true that though they think they know everything, they don't know everything? <laughs> yeah. You know, when, it's amazing to me. You're their hero when they're little, when they're little. And when they become teenagers, all of a sudden, you are so stupid. I don't know how you, how you got so dumb, but you get so dumb so quick. But let me just give you this word. Eventually, late 20s, early 30s, eventually, they start realizing you're not as dumb as they thought they, you were. They eventually come around. But I found out in, this, in doing a little study here, I found out that there might be a reason for this. Shanti Feldhahn wrote a book called For Parents Only where she cites a study claiming that the frontal lobe of the human brain doesn't fully develop until the mid-20s. In case you don't understand, the frontal lobe is where reasoning skills reside. So she was saying, according to this study, the frontal, lobe, the frontal part of your brain where reasoning skills are is not fully developed until the mid-20s. That explains a lot, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever said to your teenager, what were you thinking when you did that? Truth is, they weren't thinking. <laughs> it just wasn't connecting. They weren't connecting the dots. That's why teenagers can do something really dumb and very dangerous, and they don't even realize. It's like, what are you so worried about? It's because your frontal lobe has developed. And you can foresee where this is leading and what could happen, and they don't see it. They don't understand it. They haven't, teenagers often don't connect between their choices, connect the dots between their choices and the potential consequences of those choices. So, if you are beyond 25, you've got no excuse. Frontal lobe of your brain should be developed. Uh, or if I could put it another way, you've got a good head on your shoulders. You just need to use it every once in a while. So, we go back to the story he says in verse 7, uh, I saw among the young, uh, I noticed, uh, somebody caught my attention, I noticed among the young men, a, a youth, one man in particular, who lacked judgment. How did he know? Just by the way he was acting, maybe he knew him uh, by name, or maybe he just see, he saw where everything was heading. And then in verse 8 and 9, look what he says. Now read this carefully. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand where this is heading, do you? It appears in verse 8 that he might even have known who this woman was. Regardless, he didn't happen to pass by her house. It seems to indicate he was walking in that direction deliberately. Look at it again. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. You might want to, I don't know if you want to underline it, but at least note, walking along in the direction of her house. See, he was heading in a direction. His steps were leading in a particular direction. It wasn't randomly going there. He was walking in this direction, and he was walking in this direction deliberately. Don't miss that. 
But notice something else that's interesting. In verse 9, notice in verse 9, he focused, Solomon focuses on the time of day. He said he was doing this, verse 9, at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Isn't it true that there are certain times when we are more susceptible to sin? And isn't it true that that often is at night? In these two verses, we have the three components of sin. You know what they are? Place, person, and time. Place, where you go, matters. The places you hang out matters. Places you allow yourself to go matters. Place, people. Person or people you hang out with matters. And time. Time of day matters. There are certain times when you are more susceptible to sin and the temptation that comes your way. The time of day matters. You may not be intending to sin, but let me tell you something. Satan is certainly intending for you to. Because look at the next verse, verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. And her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. Now Solomon, the man who wrote this, knew a thing or two about women. You, you know that if you know anything about him. He made his share of poor choices in this area. He knew from experience as he stood at his window and watched all of this unfold, he knew from experience that this woman was bad news. And he also understood why this young man couldn't see it. He was oblivious to the obvious. Verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. Isn't it interesting that this lady in this story was a religious lady? She had taken her sin bucket to the temple or to her whatever religion she may have had. She had taken her sin bucket to her altar, wherever it was. She had taken her sin bucket and dumped it out at the altar, and now she was ready to fill it back up again with him. And notice the next verses, that Satan always makes sin sound good. Listen to what she said. I, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have... Perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My, my husband is not at home, in case you're worried. My husband is not at home. He's, he's gone on a long journey. Yeah, but will he come back soon? No, no, he took his purse filled with money. He'll not be home till full, full moon. And then verse 21, this is underlined in my Bible. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. With persuasive words, she led him astray. That's still happening today, folks. That is, that is as current as today's newspaper. 
with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with smooth talk. Now, this young man, he's not thinking in terms of destruction. He's not thinking in terms of she's, she's bad news. This young man is thinking in terms of I'm going to have a story to tell my buddies tomorrow. Verse 22. All at once, I've got this highlighted and underlined in my Bible. All at once, he followed her. I mean, he made a decision. It was a quick decision. Notice that. It was a quick decision. It was a decision based upon the temptation he was facing, and it was a quick decision. It was a sudden moment. It was a sudden decision. It was the opportunity was there, and he took it. All at once, he followed her. But Solomon saw the situation in an entirely different light than the young man did. All at once he followed her because he thought, this is gold. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been hoping for. This is what I've been wanting. This is a golden opportunity. That's what the young man thought. Solomon, at his window, has a different perspective. Solomon saw this situation entirely differently. He said, all at once... He followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. The point is very, very clear. This young man was throwing away his future and possibly his life. Throwing it away. And he didn't even realize it. Everybody look up here at your pastor for a moment. Isn't it heartbreaking when you see people do that? That didn't break your heart when you see somebody suddenly make a decision that is going to cost them. It costs them dearly. They are so oblivious to the obvious. You can see it, but they can't. You can see where this is heading, but they can't. All they can see is the pleasure. All they can see is the happiness. All they can see is the moment. They don't see the destruction the moment will bring. Now, at this point in the narrative, Solomon turns the corner and he addresses a larger audience. And the next words are directed to you and me. Now then, my son, plural, before he was talking to his son, singular, verse 1. Now then, my sons, plural, talking to you and me, listen to me, he says. Pay attention to what I say. In other words, you need to get this so that you don't repeat the mistakes this young man made. You need to listen to this. Verse 25, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. He's saying you need to guard your heart. And I've got that underlined in my Bible, the word heart. Do not let your heart turn to her ways and stray into her paths. Before your feet ever go in that direction, your heart goes in that direction. Before you ever turn in that direction, your heart turns in that direction. So if you sense your heart turning in that direction, that's your first warning sign. 
And it should be your first opportunity to turn and run away. Then he says in verse 26. What's the first word in verse 26? Talk to me. What's the first word in verse 26? Many. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Many. In other words, you know what he's saying? There's nothing new about this. There's nothing unique about this. This is just another young man who's chosen a path that will take him precisely where he didn't want to go or plan to be. This is just another young man who has taken a path who will ruin his life. This is just another story of another young man who followed the wrong path. And it's the story that many, many live out. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. And the reason, the reason that God put so much in the Bible, in chapter 5 and in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, the reason that God put so much in the Bible about this problem it's because we all have the, pretend, the, the propensity to choose paths that lead in the wrong direction. Not necessarily just sexual sin, but we all have the propensity to, to choose a path that doesn't lead in the direction we want to go. I mean, it's, it's amazing sometimes how we're so oblivious to the obvious. Uh, a single young woman wants to marry a great Christian man and have a, a Christian marriage, and, and, but she's dating a guy that doesn't know the Lord. Hello. We're not connecting the dots here. A married woman says, I want a great relationship with my husband, but then she makes her kids the priority of her life. Hello. W would you like to connect the dots? A man says he wants a deep, lasting, intimate relationship with God. So he gets up every morning early to read the newspaper. Don't think it's going to work out the way you're thinking. A couple says, we want our children to love the Lord and have friends who do the same and love the church. And they spend three out of four Sundays at the lake or at a ball tournament. We're not connecting the dots. We are all like this naive young man in Solomon's story. The paths we choose eventually bring us to a, to a destination that is entirely different from the one we intended to experience or go to. Now, I've got a few minutes here. I'm, I'm going to make an application, and then I'm going to tell a story. Here's my application question. I want to get real personal. Here's my application question. Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing with your life? I want to write that one down so you can think about it, so you can study on it, so you meditate on it, so you maybe ask yourself privately this question again. Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing with your life? For every one of us, no one's excluded. For every one of us, we're on a path that is heading in a particular direction. And Satan always makes sin sound good. You know, I'm convinced that if this young man could have seen the consequences of his sin, he would have chosen differently. But he was oblivious to the obvious. Doesn't take a scientist or a genius 
to understand that if we could all just see the consequences, if we could somehow fast forward and, and see where this is going to lead us, we, we would make these decisions. We would think differently. We would choose differently. So, so let, me, let me give you two lessons because the truth of the matter is we can't fast forward, but we can pause and make a wise decision. We can't fast forward and say, okay, how's this going to turn out? We can't fast forward the tape, but we can pause the tape and ask a couple of questions. Here's two, two lessons. Number one, here's two lessons I want to give you. Number one, the pleasure of your sin is not worth the pain you will feel later. If I summarize what we've looked at tonight, it would be that. The pleasure of your sin is not worth the pain you will feel later. Pleasure of your sin is not worth the pain you will feel later. So many examples of that. So many examples of choosing now without thinking about later. Lesson number two. People can see what you're oblivious to. So listen to them. Solomon, from his perspective, standing at the window, looking down upon what was playing out, he could see where this was leading. He could see what was about to happen. He could see what the other guy, what the young man couldn't see. And I just want you to know, there are people like that that God has put in your life. They can see what you're oblivious to. Now listen. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've had that, that son or daughter who went when they were 13 or 15 or 16 and, and they started dating and they were in love with somebody. But you know that guy, that girl is not good news. You ever had to pray somebody away? Uh-huh, you're shaking your head because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Now, they couldn't see it, could they? All they could see was how wonderful he is or she is, and all they could see is how much they love him or how much they love her. But you, because you're a little bit older and you've got more wisdom and you've got more experience, you're, you're able to see beyond the now. You can see the later. You can see where this is heading. You can see the obvious where they're oblivious. Sometimes you've got to pray away that girlfriend or that boyfriend. Because you know. You know where this is headed. Yet they're oblivious to it. If that's true for parents, imagine how it is with God. When He knows where you're headed. He knows what you're about to experience. He knows what it's going to cost you. And so He's brought some people into your life. And they're trying to speak truth into your life. And they're trying to wake you up. And they're trying to shake you. And they're trying to say, stop before you mess up. And you're oblivious to the obvious. People can see sometimes what we're oblivious to, so you need to listen to them. I'm going to close with this story. And then for two weeks in a row, I'm going to let you out early. <clears throat> that feels good. I don't know, I, I might get caught, I shouldn't, I shouldn't promise what I might not deliver. 
uh, I told you that, you know, Andy has written, Andy Stanley has written a book. He's got this video series and so forth. I was reading his book, and uh, he tells a story at the end of, at the end of a particular chapter that I thought was just such a picture of, of Proverbs 7. He said he was in Atlanta, and he was sitting at a red light, and it was, it was four lanes going in the same direction. So you've got eight lanes going this way, and I mean four lanes going this way and four lanes going that way. He said at this particular intersection, the left two lanes would, would turn left. They had their own individual light. The left two lanes turned left. Uh, the right two lanes went straight. He said he was, he was sitting there in one of the left two lanes. Both lights were red at the moment. He said, and he noticed over to his right that there were two young ladies kind of jogging down the hill, getting exercise, but also talking, you know. They're just kind of just out together. They're just jogging and talking, and, and they're just having a good time. He said, looked like one of them had earbuds in, and, and they're, they're just coming down the hill, just, just enjoying the good day, just enjoying their, their, their little run together. And he said, they came to the intersection, and they saw the red light, and they just ran out in front of the cars. He said, what they didn't realize was that the light for the other two lanes, the left two lanes, turned green. He said, suddenly in a split second, I could see what was about to happen. He said, I could see it unfold, but I couldn't do anything about it. And he said, sure enough, that light turned green, and a truck, he couldn't see them coming. They were behind this car, and, and a truck saw the light turn green, and he pulled out just as they came across. And the truck hit both of them. And he said, I saw both bodies go flying in the air. And he, he, was, he ran out. He was the first one to call 911. He, he ran up to them. He said, I, I thought they were both dead. They were both lifeless. They were both laying there lifeless. And as it turned out later, a few days later, he finally found out who they were and that they both survived. But he talked about the trauma of sitting there, watching this unfold and knowing what was about to happen, but not able to do anything to stop it. As I read that, I thought, happens all the time. I'm not talking about people getting hit by a truck. I'm, I'm talking about you sitting there and you're watching what your children are about to do and you're not able to stop it. Or you're sitting there and you're watching what your spouse is about to do and you're not able to stop it. Or you're sitting there as a pastor and you know what's about to unfold. You know what they're about to do. You know it's going to be a costly decision and you're not able to stop it. So God said in Proverbs chapter 7, here's the answer. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinsman. They, the word of God, they will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. When we neglect the Word of God, we do it to our peril. When we neglect the Word of God, we will step out of the will of God. But if we stay in the Word of God, we are much more likely to stay in the will of God. Does that make sense? So if you're struggling in an area, if you're wondering, I I'm walking in the wrong direction and I know it, but how do I stop? 
right here. Focus on those, five, those first five verses. Try to do what this, this, this book says. Don't, don't just read it. Try to do it. Don't just read it. Try to do it. Remember it. Memorize it. Live it. And that will keep you from what Satan is enticing you to do. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus and for your glory, we pray that if we're wrestling right now with sin, we are wrestling with the seductive words. If we are thinking that perhaps there's something better Help us, O oh God, not to be oblivious to the obvious. Draw us back to your word. Draw us back to truth. Draw us back to you. I pray that in Jesus' name.